Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Amy Silvis, and she is the founder and principal of Silvis Capital. Amy, how are you doing today? Wesley, I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm extremely excited to learn more about Silvis Capital and how you got started in this industry. I'm excited. Yes, sir. I'm really pumped, too. This is really an honor. Awesome. Awesome. And before we get started, would you mind just letting the people know how they can find you on the internet, whether it's your website or social media? Yeah, that's perfect. So I'm extremely active on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled a little funky, but I trust that Wesley's going to put the spelling in the show notes. So you can Google me or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Amy Silvis, and then silviscapital.com. And if you want to learn more about us, you can add a backslash and put webinar. Got a 30 minute educational tutorial there. You can learn more about us. That's so awesome. So let's just kind of start from the top and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. Yes. So I am in Los Angeles, California, born and raised. Uh, I'm actually in Pasadena. If you're a college football fan, I'm close to the Rose Bowl uh, and love to go there every New Year's Day. I'm a big college football fan. So that's where I am. That's awesome. So, you know, L.A. is a huge city. It's a melting pot full of culture and just different things. So how would you say that growing up in L.A., um, you know, impacted your outlook on life and success? Yeah, you know, I, I think to your point, I was really fortunate. I grew up in a kind of a traditional middle class family. My father does manual labor, did growing up and at age 69 is still a manual laborer. And I think seeing that work ethic and being exposed to people from all walks of life, as you mentioned, and my parents really instilled in me, you know, hey, a roof over your head, food in your belly and education like this is all a privilege. Not everyone gets that. So and if you do get that, it is your responsibility to take care of and give to those who don't have that. So I feel really fortunate that I wasn't kind of isolated or lived around people that were just like me. L.A. is gorgeously diverse and I, I'm a better person for it, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and just speaking of work ethic, I mean, looking at some of the numbers and some of the stats and the things that you've accomplished, I mean, that really speaks to what you've done today. I mean, you have over 748 apartment units, over 208,000 square feet of flex industrial space and $96 million worth of assets under management right now with um, Silvis Capital. So, you know, I just wanted to ask before we, we dive into that, yeah. I want to ask, what is Sil Silvis Capital? Yes. So we buy and operate large commercial real estate properties in kind of up and coming markets throughout the United States. And our goal is to really serve people who want to invest alongside us and take advantage of our ability to source these really exceptional deals in these great markets and help people build their wealth, whether it's to live off of, to replace their W-2 income or you know, get their retirement go up and going. Uh, we're really here to serve our investors and of course, serve our residents and tenants as well. Absolutely. And you know, how did you get started in this industry in real estate and commercial real estate? It's a great question. Um, if you'll humor me a bit, I have a little bit of an interesting background. It took me 10 full years to get into this space. And what prompted me to want to get into this space is when I was born, my parents were told that I'd live to be around eight or nine years old. And if I did make it that long, it was going to be a really hard road. I'm 41. You can't see because I dye my hair, but <laughs> I've got the wrinkles and the gray hair to prove it. I was born with cystic fibrosis. It's a genetic illness uh, that impacts my lungs. 
even though, thank goodness, I didn't pass at eight or nine years old, I was in and out of the hospital with pneumonia uh, for most of my life until a few years ago, which meant it was extremely difficult for me to just get through school, get through college, and then hold down a job. And I always knew at some point my ability to trade my time for money might not be there, right? Something that everyone kind of takes for granted, like, hey, yeah, I'm going to work. If I need money, you know, at least I can get a job. Well, when you're sitting in the hospital on very potent intravenous antibiotics, fighting for your life two to three uh, times a year, two to three weeks at a time, it's tough to hold down a job. Most employers aren't understanding. So I was really looking for a way to not be a burden on my family. You know, they would have supported me, but they sacrificed so much raising a disabled child that I wanted to find a way to be independent. And I came across that purple book I think a lot of people are familiar with called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I went, oh, I can generate income even while I'm in the hospital. I can do things to support myself. So that was really kind of the the nexus or the, the idea of, of where I got that. And then, yeah, the, the journey, <laughs> the journey to do it was a little bumpy, but we're finally here. Well, wow, I mean, that is such an incredible story. And it just shows, you know, the persistence and the the will to want to be successful and to continue to, to um, you know, thrive, even though you've been given these diagnoses, you did not let that stop you. You did not let that hinder you. You continue to move forward and, and find a way to keep pushing. Would you say that that also played a big part in the work ethic that you have today? I think so. You know, I was given a miracle drug around three years ago, not quite a cure, but something that changed my health forever in a great way. I feel like I've been launched out of a rocket ship because I now know very similar, you know, what it's like to live in a healthy body, what it's like to be able to, you know, kind of work. And ironically, I trade my time for money a little bit now. But yeah, I think, you know, having that that perspective, as we all have, right, we all have struggles. I'm not unique. Every single person has a story. And we can leverage that as I have tried to, uh, yeah, to really give me perspective and a reason why I want to have that work ethic and, and do what I do. Absolutely, man. That is so incredible. I mean, and, you know, real estate is simple, but it's not easy. So, you know, the idea and the concept concept of it makes a lot of sense, but once you get started and once you really get involved, you understand how much details and how many different um, you know, aspects there are to real estate. So when you were making that transition into commercial real estate, you know, with these large numbers, especially being out in LA, you know, these huge values for these properties. I mean, was that ever intimidating? How did you feel making that transition into, you know, commercial real estate? Extremely intimidated, extremely. Well, and Los Angeles, unfortunately, isn't really a great market to invest in. So I not only was intimidated by just, you know, transitioning industries, as you alluded to, but I knew I couldn't invest in my own backyard. I needed to go to other areas of the country, some of, you know, some places where I'd never even been before and learn the local markets, you know, travel out there, get to know and do research. So, yeah, without a doubt, I, I definitely get intimidated. I still do to some extent to this day, but, you know, there are many ways to mitigate that, right? We can, I love, you know, one of the quotes I heard is you feel the fear and you do it anyway. So, I continue to to live by that mantra. Absolutely, man. It's so incredible. And so, you know, I, I think it's really exciting and amazing what you're doing and what you're building. And, you know, the focus that you have when I was doing my research a little earlier, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
you know, one of your main principles or main premises is to provide safe and clean housing for your residents and for the people staying there. And something that I thought was really powerful was saying that that is non-negotiable. So, you know, what what was the idea and the vision behind, you know, that model or that outlook? Yes, sir. You know, I think culture sometimes teaches us that, you know, we have to step on other people or maybe, you know, not do right by people in order to make money. And I've been very fortunate, even through, you know, watching my father do manual labor uh, and even while no one's looking, seeing him do the right thing. And I just believe in my heart of hearts. And now I've seen in my business, you can do the right thing by people, treat people well, better than they ever expect and still make money. In fact, I think in this business, these things are inextricably linked, right? If I treat my residents well, they feel like they're not just a number on the spreadsheet that I have, but there are human beings with needs and dreams and wants and all of that. They're going to stay, right? Some of my largest expenses as an apartment owner are turnover costs. When people leave, it costs a lot of money to get a unit ready for the next resident. So my interests are aligned with them, you know, obviously above and beyond, you know, how I feel in my heart. But I just think, you know, my role here, I'm not here by accident. You know, I didn't leave, you know, four times my life expectancy just to fleece people and, and not make a positive impact in the world. So that makes me feel good when I get up every day. I know I'm doing the right thing by people, even though they may not know me directly. I'm still having a positive impact on communities. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, not only do you have a positive impact on the residents, but you also have an extremely positive impact on the investors, um, you know, and the, and the people that that believe in your vision and believe in what you're doing. So, you know, I wanted to ask, can anyone invest with Silvis Capital or are there these certain thresholds where only accredited investors are accepted? How does that work? That's a great question. We do do deals for folks that are not accredited. That's extremely important to us because you know, accredited folks have a lot of options, right? They're not hurting for the ability to build their wealth. Not accredited folks, which I was just recently, you know, how are folks supposed to get in the game? So we very intentionally want to offer those not accredited uh, investors an option. So yeah, we definitely welcome folks. Absolutely. And what would you say are some of the benefits, um, you know, that investors experience when they decide to invest with Silvis Capital? Sure. Well, I think to your point, you know, we 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 buy real estate. We want to make money. No one's going to say, you know, we're in a nonprofit business, but we try to do the right thing. So, you know, knowing that your dollars are not just going to, you know, enrich random people, you're really doing something that's going to have a positive impact on the community. And you're going to hear from us about it. You're going to know about the food drives we do. You're going to know about, you know, how we take care of the elderly woman in the in the apartment complex that needs a little bit of extra help. But, you know, you're going to hear those stories. I think additionally, a lot of folks, you know, investing in stocks, bonds and mutual funds, you know, we're kind of told that that's the only thing that they can do maybe in their retirement account. But we are able to help people understand they can diversify and get into real estate and own, you know, part of a big apartment complex, get those tax benefits, um, but also do it passively. Many folks are busy with their jobs. They've got kids. They have hobbies. You know, they don't need another job of managing you know, real estate, we take care of all of that for folks. So they're just collecting checks while we make sure that the job gets done. Absolutely. I mean, and just speaking of that passive income, that's something that everybody is after, everybody's chasing and everybody wants to to be able to um, create for themselves. 
is there a specific um return percentage that investors can expect to get back or is there a certain goal that silvis capital has to return back to us to its investors i love that question because we accept non-accredited investors the sec doesn't allow us to talk on a mass scale publicly what our returns are so i'm happy to discuss with people one-on-one -on -one. i hope you understand i'm not trying to be coy here or skirt the question we just always try to follow the law. We're highly regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So I'll have to pass on that question, Wesley. I'm sorry. Absolutely. No, no problem. I completely understand. We want to stay within yeah. compliance for sure. Yes, sir. Um, you know, but something that I really admire about, uh, you know, this company and this brand that you've built is that you focus on multifamily real estate, which is, you know, the more doors equals more cash flow, more passive income. Is there anything specifically that led you to want to, you know, go to multifamily units instead of just a single family home? Yes, 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 yes. You know, I was really, you talk about being intimidated. I was really intimidated and thought, you know, hey, let's buy a single family, see how that goes. I didn't realize it's actually easier in many ways to buy a multifamily product. So what do I mean? Well, let's say I own a single residence and that resident moves out. Who's paying my mortgage? No one. You know, it's me, right? It falls back on me. I've got 100% vacancy. What if I have a 100 unit complex and one resident leaves? I only have, I have got 99% occupancy, only 1% vacancy, which means those other 99 residents are still far and away paying my mortgage, paying my insurance, paying my taxes and such. So there's a lot less risk. Also, a lot of these loans that you take out to buy apartment complexes, they're not personally guaranteed by you. They're guaranteed by the property. Very different than a single family home. So, you know, obviously we try to run these very well and God forbid anything goes wrong. But I think it's really important for folks to understand that, you know, maybe you're not starting off with the best credit score. Maybe you're, you know, th th there can be some personal things. Well, it can actually be easier to get a multifamily uh, complex. You know, there, there are going to be a few other stipulations, of course, but it's really a different mindset. The third thing I would mention, especially because I'm in Los Angeles, I invest out of state, the quality of property management that you can get with a hundred unit apartment complex is so much more sophisticated, um, you know, institutional quality than maybe just a single family, you know, company that you would, that you might use. So a lot of these things make it easier to be uh, a multifamily investor versus single family. It's a great question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to ask you a question and see if it's okay if I take you back in time Yeah. and ask you about the first your first deal when you know you saw that this works you have the proof of concept and then you just knew like okay this is what I want to do forever what was that what was that first deal and then what was that moment like yes so I purchased a 58 unit apartment complex in Clarksville Tennessee if you don't know Tennessee very well this is about an hour northwest of Nashville incredible market great state great people booming economy and yeah, it was two days after my 40th birthday, and I couldn't believe that I had reached my goal of finally getting my first deal. Um, driving around the apartment complex, being there on the day of closing, I just, I felt so much joy, but also this extreme sense of responsibility, right? Caring for these families and these residents, caring for, obviously, our investors as well. And, you know, anyone who's done this knows the takeover process can be cumbersome, can be there's a lot that goes on before you get up and running. 
The day after we closed on the apartment complex, I got a call from our property management company and they said, hey, there is a wheelchair bound woman on the second floor of the apartment complex and the only way to get in and out are stairs. So she's scooting down on her tush to get out of the apartment complex. And I went, wait, what? You know, obviously we didn't put her there, right? The previous property management and the previous owner put her there. And we went right into, you know, how are we gonna help this woman, right? So we, you know, we get her on the line, we ask if we need to relocate her to a hotel until we find a place for her to go. You know, how can we help her move her things? Does she need it? Does she have enough food? Like, has she, you know, what's been going on with this woman? And it really hit me what a privileged position I was in to be able to have, you know, my own personal funds and the knowledge and the power to help someone who has a really tough life. It's not easy to be wheelchair bound. I'm imagining she has a lot of accessibility issues. And on top of that, someone, I don't know how, put her in a unit that isn't accessible to her. I mean, it just the basic functions of life. And yes, you know, I was excited. I was, you know, excited to make money and all this, but to be in a position and to still be in a position where I can make those calls immediately and make someone's life significantly better. I just, I can't think of anything better. So uh, maybe that's a little bit of a different answer than what maybe you were going for, but that's really when I was hooked because I knew I had the capability to give back and care for people like I'd always wanted to do. Absolutely. No, and I think that was a great answer and a great response. And it just shows a more human side to real estate because, you know, I still live in an apartment myself and I rent, but you you view an apartment as just like a, a big business or a corporation in a way, yeah. like a conglomerate, so to speak. So you're really humanizing this space and in, in bringing forth like, just empathy and compassion for the people. And I'm sure that, you know, that pays off in the long run. That makes more people want to do business with you as well as utilize your units and, and stay in your, your apartment. So, I mean, I commend you for that 1000%. Thank you. No, it's the right thing to do. It feels good. We're, we're designed to feel really good when we're giving to people. So I lean into that for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and another great benefit for, uh, another great benefit that real estate has is its hedge against inflation, which is, I mean, what we've been experiencing for the past, I'll say 18 months now at this point. But, you know, by making smart investments in real estate and making those, uh, doing your due diligence where you're, you're analyzing deals and analyzing properties, I mean, you know, you can still have the ability to bring in that passive income and, you know, beat the market, so to speak. Yes, sir. Yeah, you're spot on. You know, acquiring assets is really one of the best ways to to beat inflation. And if you can leverage those assets, get debt, that actually compounds what you're doing because you're paying down that debt month after month, year after year with dollars that are worthless. So if anyone follows Jason Hartman, he's got the phrase inflation induced debt destruction, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is which is kind of a, a, a funny phrase, but it really Yes, there are so many ways that real estate does help us fight inflation. It's important. Absolutely. I mean, in the, in the another ideology of yours that I um, was able to find and I really liked and wanted to hear you expand a little bit on was, you know, one of your goals is achieving the five freedoms. And those five freedoms are financial freedom, time freedom, geographic freedom, freedom of association, and then the freedom of purpose. 
So could you just expand a little bit more on the vision and the idea behind, um, you know, that thought process? Yes, sir. I really believe we are born to be free. And unfortunately, myself included, we get stuck in this kind of rat race, this hamster wheel without even knowing. That's the scariest part. You know, these chains that we're bound by, we don't even realize that they're there. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe your folks resonate with this. Maybe you're forced at work to be around people that, you know, don't feel like they're who you want to associate with. Or maybe you've got kiddos and you're forced to work a certain set of hours uh, at your job and you're missing their game or missing just helping them with homework after uh, after work. Um, I feel closest to my creator when I travel. I love to see people that are different than me, that have different beliefs. You know, maybe you want to have freedom of geography and see what else this amazing planet has to have, you know, both in nature, but also people. You know, there, there are so many ways, I think, that real estate and passive income can help us break these chains, unlock the freedom, um, and even, you know, excess money to be able to give to charity like my husband and I love to do um, and have further impact on this world. So, yes, those five freedoms are something that, that really get me through, you know, real estate isn't all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, right? There are some really tough days, but I keep these freedoms in mind that I'm so blessed to have as a real estate investor and I'm helping my investors get as well. So it's very exciting. Absolutely, man. And I think that you sharing your ideas and your ideals and what you believe in and, and your goals and what you want to accomplish will help many other listeners and other people and you know people that you come in contact with it will help them put things into perspective and you know take a step back and say okay maybe work isn't my entire life or maybe this isn't my entire life let me go out and see the world let me go out and travel let me buy my time back and buy my freedom back i mean i think it's amazing and, and I think that's really what life is all about, man, is just exploring, seeing the world, seeing more, meeting new people and trying new things. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the uh, I, I think culture definitely really cheats us out of this idea of, you know, make more money, get that next title. And it's like, well, yeah, but <laughs> do you control your own time? I mean, it, it's it's a, you make a lot of money, but how are you going to spend that? Is, is that worth more of your time? And for some people, they love their job, right? I'm not trying to shame anyone who's climbing the corporate ladder and loves it and has set up their life exactly the way they want it. But I think some folks don't realize that there is an alternative. I didn't, exactly. I had no idea. I just thought everyone around me, you know, middle-class family, you just, you trade your time for money. That's just how life is. So yeah, I love spreading the word that there is another way should you choose. Absolutely. A little earlier, um, you know, you mentioned that the SEC has these certain rules and laws in place. Yes. Which I mean, I think is is amazing and it's extremely important to know and understand what you can and cannot do in your field. I mean, in my day job, that's like one of the biggest departments is the compliance department to understand what we can and can't do so we can stay in line. Yes. But what I want to ask is, you know, how did you focus on gaining this business acumen and, and, and boosting your business IQ? Because, I mean, you've built a large business that is has a lot of rules and under a lot of scrutiny. So how did you focus on becoming a better businesswoman and a better business person to run this business efficiently? Yes, sir. Well, I started off by listening to brilliant minds like you and podcasts like you, you know, they call it found time, right? I'm doing my laundry. I'm doing the dishes. I'm driving around in LA traffic. There's so much you can learn by listening to podcasts. And I commend you, you know, for spreading information like you do to your, your podcast listeners. 
But I think being very intentional, right? Because the government, unfortunately, they don't care if you have ignorance of the law. The law is the law. So really, you know, intentionally finding, uh, you know, like Mauricio Rall, he's a guy that is an SEC attorney for syndicators and people that raise capital, paying very close attention, reading books, uh, and yeah, really keeping abreast of even when laws change. Um, yeah, I think it's important. I think some people kind of resent and push back on regulations, but I think in my industry, I'm going to go out here on a limb. I think the SEC and the government are there to protect the investors. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think it's important that, you know, we have this transparency and these regulations so folks um, know what they're getting into. They have the, the the documentation and information so they can make the best decision themselves. So, yeah, it is really to your point. It's an active part of my business that I'm always having to keep tabs on uh, through podcasts, through books and making sure I've got lawyers on my team uh, that I'm keeping in close contact with to get updates. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and speaking of, you know, raising capital and, and working with different, um, you know, attorneys and, and just different aspects of the business, I want to ask a pretty personal question here. Yeah, sure. um, have you ever faced any bias or, or anything being a woman in, in a sort of a male dominated field, such as like, commercial real estate? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I kind of a tomboy. I mentioned I like college football. <laughs> I've always been in a male dominated industry. Prior to this, I was in biotech. Not a lot of women in that field either. Um, I don't know why. I I'm very grateful. I don't feel like I faced a whole lot of bias. I I'm really grateful. People in this space are exceptionally caring, respectful, and have this abundance mentality where folks want to help each other even if they're competitors, it's amazing. It's one of the reasons I love what I do. So um, I guess it's possible that maybe I just was blind um, to maybe people treating me differently. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I try to lead with respect. I try to lead with care and empathy. You mentioned that word empathy. It's one of my favorite, you know, words and, and things to offer to people. So I see it reciprocated. So uh, fortunately, I, I haven't, but maybe I'm just blind to it. I don't know. Awesome. No. And I, and it's just like, man, you're so passionate about real estate and, and helping people. And the energy is like, I could, it's, it's coming through the computer right now. Um, but you know, and it, I can, t I can feel the focus as well. So I, I mean, this is motivating me just through this conversation, but you know, what I want to ask is you mentioned mentors and, and having d different, um, resources that you go to so i want to ask what is the importance of having a team and how did you focus on building your team oh my gosh yes you know i yeah gosh where do i even start this is a team sport without a doubt and i have to admit through my own insecurity my inexperience i felt like my lack of knowledge i was really hesitant to try to form a team or join a team because i wasn't sure what i'd be able to contribute um but gosh once i Kind of got vulnerable, put myself out there and was able to form a team, that's when everything clicked. And in fact, it was a mentor of mine that I developed that relationship. I kept showing up. A lot of people recognize the name Maurice Philogene in this space. He was my mentor. He was one of my first business partners that, you know, really took a chance on me. But I tried to prove myself that, hey, you know, I've got something to offer here. So yeah, it is, it is a team sport and you can go further faster by making sure you have a team. It can be intimidating, it can be overwhelming, um, but it, it's just, it's what you have to do to succeed without a doubt. 
Absolutely. I mean, and I, I, yeah, I think that's a, <laughs> I agree with that 1000%. And I think it's a, a difficult transition for a lot of entrepreneurs to make because a, a lot of most entrepreneurs, especially if they're successful, they're like high achievers and, you know, they, they like to be in control and, and want to yes, have their hands in everything. So it can be kind of difficult to turn over like something that you built and started from the ground up. And then you just like, okay, now you run with it. Like I, I, I understand how that can be like a difficult task or a difficult thing to do. So true. So, so true. You realize very quickly though, that if you're going to do right by your residents and you're going to do right by your investors, I don't care how smart you are or how much time you have, 24 hours in a day and a PhD in real estate investing is not going to get you there. So yeah, it is a humbling experience and it's not always smooth, right? People are people. So um, yeah, it, it definitely takes some vulnerability um, and some relinquish relinquishing of control, but you're spot on. What are some roadblocks or lessons that you've learned throughout your career in real estate? I love that. So I think one of the biggest roadblocks I hit was investing in an area where I didn't understand the local government. I understood mm. the state government. I didn't understand the local government. I'll tell you why. So Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, if you don't know, is split into two counties. They operate very differently. Um, we do everything we can with our residents to not have to evict. You know, things happen to people, you know, COVID, job loss. Life happens, right? We're not the type of people that are going to kick someone out if their payment's a day late. That doesn't serve us. That doesn't serve them. We work with people. But at a certain point, you know, if folks are, you know, causing trouble, you know, that some things happen, you, know, you kind of have to sit down and have a conversation. Well, there is one county in, it's called DeKalb County in Atlanta. I hope I don't get in trouble for talking about it, but they are so backlogged on evictions. I'm talking like two, two and a half years <laughs> backlogged. Um, and I understand their philosophy behind it. They don't want to kick people out. I, I understand all of this deeply, but at a certain point, we still have to pay our mortgage, you know, and our, we still have to pay our insurance and our taxes. And that comes from our rent. We just had no idea. I'll be very candid that, you know, there was this, that, that it was possible for governments to kind of make these decisions about how to handle non-paying residents. And I'm talking about people that haven't paid in like six months not a week. Like these are, you know, people and, you know, some of them are violent and, you know, things like that. So um, it feels awful to talk about, but it is a strong reminder to me that, you know, as we want to impact and have a positive impact on communities, it is really important that we understand kind of how cities and how local counties think about landlords and think about the multifamily space. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a troublesome property. And I think we will definitely you know, we've definitely ever since the past two years made sure we've done our local research. Uh, so we make sure we don't get in a situation like that. Absolutely. No, and I definitely appreciate the transparency um, and just showing, you know, both sides of of real estate and what comes yeah. with it. I mean, you also you have the passive income and the, uh, you know, the, the tax benefits and then the hedges against inflation. But then yes, on sir. the other side, you know, there are there are other things to deal with, but you are still persevering and, and, and moving forward and, you know, just learning all you can and, and, and staying positive. So, I mean, I think that's a great outlook to have on it. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, th there are always levers to pull. Um, and, you know, I know the faces of some of the families that live in this apartment complex. They deserve 
to have safe housing. They deserve to not have to worry their little kiddos are around, you know, some people that that are violent, you know, things like that. So that really keeps us motivated to, you know, yes, we have an obstacle. Yes, there are some things that are challenging, but other apartment owners are solving the issue. There are ways to make sure, you know, we can make this a great place to to live and get the return that we promised to our investors. So it's just another learning experience. How do you define success as an entrepreneur at this point in your career? Oh, I think first and foremost, doing what I say I'm going to do. So when my residents, you know, sign up for a lease and we promise that we're going to give them safe, secure, clean housing, that we're doing that. Or if there are obstacles to that, we're continuing to work towards and make progress. Same with our investors. Are we giving them preservation of capital? Are we returning their investment? Are we giving them the return? I think, and then having a positive impact on the community. Uh, my husband and I make our business goals not based on income, but how much we can give to charity every year. So if we want to write X amount of check to charity this year, how many deals do we have to do? How much capital do we have to raise? We kind of back out from there. So uh, we're always looking to, you know, grow those checks, make those checks bigger. Um, but then, of course, you know, have the ability to to have our freedom as well and, and travel and spend time with people we love. So I guess it's it's a little bit more of a multifaceted uh, what success looks like for us. Um, but that's really what is important to us and how we define success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how would you like for people to remember you as well as the company that you've built and created? Ooh, wow. You're one of the best interviewers I've ever <laughs> been on the podcast <laughs> with, Wesley. That's a great question. That's really impressive. Okay. How would I like people to remember? I'd like people to remember me by how I made them feel. Did they feel like I really cared? Did they feel like I was being honest with them? Did they feel like my intentions, you know, I said something, but my intentions actually came forward. Um, and do people feel like I created a better a better place in this world for them to live, for them to invest? Um, or, you know, my husband and I donate to charity here in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, did we make impact on, on children in a positive way? That's my hope. Absolutely. I mean, and what does the future of Silvis Capital look like to you? We're going to continue to diversify. I think multifamily is an incredible uh, asset to invest in. Uh, we have our first, you mentioned that flex industrial project that we have in Kansas City, Missouri. I think there is, I'm sure people have heard that term onshoring, but we're bringing back manufacturing from overseas back to the United States, giving workers more jobs, you know, giving us uh, security for the supply chain here. I would love to continue to be a part of that because I know, you know, if we have industrial space that we own and operate, we're helping to contribute to, you know, American jobs, American workers, and folks that are really trying to make a living for themselves and their families. So I'm not going to step away from multifamily, but we would love to to have a little bit of a diversification, excuse me, diversification play uh, as our as our nation builds back its manufacturing capacity. Man, that is so incredible. I mean, this is this has been a Man, I'm just glad I got a chance to pick your brain Aww. and, um, you know, get to have this conversation with you with you. So, Amy, thank you so much for your time today. I thank really you. appreciate it. And uh, yeah, man, this was a great episode. This was legendary. <laughs> Wesley, thank you. You're one of the best interviewers I've had. No joke. So right back at you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.